the idea that when you're driving in a car, the headlights can only show 200 feet in front of you. That's all you can see. And should you be driving across the country at night, you still would only be able to see those 200 feet. And so that's what you're focusing on. Welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Each interview, we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. These conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth accompanied by entertaining storytelling. Welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning, improved performance, and a look inside the competitive mindset. The Greatest Games Podcast interviews coaches of all levels about the greatest games they have ever been a part of. Chris and Brian post two episodes per week that explore these great games and also takes a dive into each coach's journey and some lessons that they have learned along the way. Catch The Greatest Games Podcast on all podcast platforms as well as thegreatestgames.podbean.com. Jake Richard, welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Billy, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be on. I'm excited to learn about your story and more about the sport of lacrosse. So let's get started there and tell me about your life story and how it's led to where you are now. When I assume being from Wisconsin, you probably did not grow up around uh, lacrosse much. And that's kind of been the story with a lot of people I've interacted with in the, in the Wisconsin area after coming to school here to play lacrosse at Marquette. And so uh, just to give you a little background, I grew up outside of Philadelphia in a town called Westchester. And I was one of seven kids, or I am one of seven kids. And both my parents are teachers. So as you can imagine, it was a house full of fun and backyard sports and uh, five boys, two girls. So a lot of wrestling going on, a lot of fort building, climbing trees, things like that. Uh, and I, I kind of played all sports growing up, football, basketball, baseball, track, soccer, everything. Um, in high school, I focused on football, basketball, and lacrosse. I actually did run track in the winter as well. And and uh, as high school went on, what, knew I wanted to play college lacrosse. Um, and was recruited to play at Marquette. It was actually the only offer I received. Uh, I had a few football offers, but only one for lacrosse. And the opportunity to come out here and start a new program uh, in Marquette was really exciting and enticing. Uh, which brought me out here. And like I mentioned, lacrosse was at one point very new to the area and since has become a really ever-growing presence in the state of Wisconsin. Um, so it's been fun to be a part of that. I also play professionally um, on my sixth season coming up. Uh, the league is called the Premier Lacrosse League. Uh, it's been a ton of fun playing at the highest level and uh, I love to co continue to compete, and it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with my job as a full-time assistant coach at Marquette University. Uh, so I, I love being around the game and, and love to compete. So you started right away, and you said fort building and climbing trees, and that's always <laughs> intriguing me with just the ability to have a creative mind and open play. Can you tell me what you remember most vividly about that experience and what was so fun about those free play times? Absolutely. And something that people really value when you talk about lacrosse is the ability to be so creative within the rules. So that idea kind of goes hand in hand with the sport of lacrosse. Um, but looking back at my childhood, um, my parents were great. They, they really encouraged us to get outside and, and kind of invent our own games. 
And I think one of the coolest pieces of it all, my dad had built a treehouse in our backyard. And as you can imagine, that was kind of a focal point in a lot of the backyard games, whether it was throwing balls down at one another and trying to dodge them or taking siege of the treehouse. It was just a ton of fun. I, I think probably things like that, games like kick the can where you're trying to be sly and, and avoid the uh, person who's it, uh, things like that. Um, made it a ton of fun. And uh, back then those, those moments winning those games uh, seems like the biggest deal which was uh, made them even more fun, a little more intense. Kick the can is something from my childhood that we played almost extensively, and my daughter's a little <laughs> too young right now, but I don't even know if you know kids do that or are allowed to be out after dark, but those are definitely some of the most fun times, running around the neighborhood, playing in the dark, and we called them night games and kick the can and, and all that yeah. kind of replay stuff was instrumental, I think, you know, and the joy that I had as a kid for sure. But I want to talk about some of the organized sports that you mentioned. Can you remember the first time you participated in a competition? Yeah, absolutely. So I remember playing in a team sport uh, like peewee soccer and t-ball, but probably the most vivid memory I would say from my youngest years would be running in – I guess they were also called peewee races. Uh, my dad ran track in college at LaSalle University. was a 400 runner and, and quite gifted. And all through his young fatherhood and even to this day, he continues to run and compete. Um, so as a young kid, he would we would go to his track events. Um, I don't know the organization he was competing through, uh, but there would always be a peewee race uh, comprised of all the kids that were there. And uh, as you can imagine, it's quite the array of, of kids uh, from ages probably two to eight to nine to 10, something like that. Um, and running track is a very sobering uh, competitive landscape. It's, it's very black and white. It's, it, you either win or you don't, and there's not much in between. Um, and there's no, no one to blame but yourself. Looking, that's of course my perspective in hindsight. Uh, but looking back, it, I just remember it was so fun to have a, a platform just to kind of go all out and uh, and do your absolute best and 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 really see where the cards lie at the end. You know, you like I said, you either won or you lost. And of course, my family was always excited and proud of me, and it was a ton of fun. But being around the sport of track was a, I think, a competitive. Uh, base for me, learning how to compete in workouts and doing ladder workouts, things like that. It it teaches you a lot. I think track is something that will help you with these other sports. And obviously running is a component of lacrosse and and it can assist you there. So I want to talk to you about Marquette and you had mentioned it being a new program and also lacrosse, you know, being a new sport to the area. Can you tell me about a moment when you got to Marquette where you were like, wow, this really is brand new and nothing like what I've experienced prior to the lacrosse experience where it has been a well-known commodity. Just a a funny story would be, uh, I mean, this is very close to you. Uh, I would walk around wearing Marquette lacrosse stuff and people would say, oh, I had no idea Marquette had a lacrosse campus. Uh, Thinking (laughs) that it was – like similar to UW lacrosse, <laughs> um, it was just the Marquette lacrosse campus. But 
That, that's when I was like, oh, wow, they didn't even know this was a sport. It's not good. But <laughs> I think also a couple of moments being a, a new program, we knew committing to this that it would be a road full of experiences uh, of all different sorts when it came to competing. And when we first played the Notre Dames and the Dukes and the Denvers as a, as a team comprised mostly of freshmen, and our team was mostly guys from the East Coast and Canada. We would get we would get crushed like twenty twenty to two with scores like that. That's when it was like, okay, wow, there's a whole other level to this. We got some work to do, and it wasn't always that easy, that clear of a picture or reaction. But uh, those moments in those first years were really foundational to to the program that we became and the player that I became. Well, that is such a unique situation to have freshmen competing exclusively against upperclassmen or entire rosters from the schools that have been together. What was your mindset in regards to looking at that uphill battle and how to overcome it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think were we not guided properly, uh, that's an overwhelming thing. To sit where we were at the start of our program as freshmen and to, to try and picture where we could possibly land uh, would have been impossible, right? So in sports, you talk all the time about the process. And a phrase we used a lot was 200 feet in front of you. And so that whole phrase comes from the idea that when you're driving in a car, the headlights can only show 200 feet in front of you. That's all you can see. And sh- should you be driving across the country at night, you still would only be able to see those 200 feet. And so that's what you're focusing on. And so it would just come down to winning moments. Hey, you know, in each lift, taking care of those reps or taking care of your morning routine. I love that analogy, um, 200 feet ahead of you. I wrote that down. I'm definitely stealing that one from you. I can't take credit for it, but uh, it is a great one. I, I, I use it often. So can you talk to me about the transition from playing collegiately to professionally in the PLL broadly, how that happened and Mm -hmm. what occurred with that, that experience? I guess I don't even know what to ask there. If you could just kind of describe that transition. (laughs) Pro across landscape is actually super unique. When I graduated, it was the, it was actually, which was major league. And I was drafted to a team of the New York Lizards that was comprised of some of the biggest names in the sport. And I would, here I was a kid coming from a, a program that finished its fourth year in existence, a guy that was unrecruited or barely recruited. And I don't know with the, the best in the game and some of the best players ever. So that just that mindset shift of kind of going from being unproven to kind of proven to yourself that you belong. It's also a, a, a league in which there's a lot of attrition. As of many pro leagues, uh, the roster capacities and availability is pretty small in, in relation to the amount of that actually play, you know, to make it count. So you brought up something, and to do a little math, there's 172 yeah. players in the PLL, and you're one of them. Those are astonishing it's astonishing odds to me. Can you talk to me a little bit about what your platform as one of those 172 players means to you and what you want to be able to accomplish with it? 
That's a heavy question. Wow. <laughs> I, I like it. First, uh, I'm super blessed to even be given this opportunity, and uh, I'm constantly working to get better, to keep that opportunity uh, available for as long as possible because I truly do love to play and compete. And so there's always that underlying expectation to continue to earn it. Uh, by no means have I gotten comfortable and, and I know there's so much more to my game to to grow. And so that really excites me. Uh, I still have goals and, and I'm excited about that. In terms of a greater responsibility in a platform, there's a few things on my mind. I think one is I would like to really try to just be very humble about my position and and not be above interacting with any young athlete uh, or anything like that and, and try to give people a chance and an opportunity, especially when I, when I talk about uh, like recruiting for my college. Uh, there are kids out there who are late in the process or late developers who don't get many opportunities that could turn into something like that, uh, turn into a, a player that get, has the opportunities that I have. Um, and so I try to also uh, give kids those kind of opportunities. My goal is to stay at the highest level, be a good person, and, and uh, try to open doors for kids that, uh, like myself, that may have not had op doors opened if there wasn't somebody that was – giving them a chance or, or leaning on them, if that makes sense. So how has your mindset in regards to what success means changed over the course of your life to where you are as a collegiate coach and a professional athlete? This was a great question. I think growing up when you are going through your early life with school and different sports, you have more set metrics to kind of measure yourself upon or – uh, it could be simply making the A-team for a sport you're playing or you want to start varsity for the high school or you want to get recruited for college. And so those things are kind of set in place. You have these bookmarks and checkpoints that you can strive for and reach for. And I think when you get later in life, those checkpoints and kind of get further apart and become a little less clear. You have a little more freedom to dictate what you want. And, I, and so for me personally – being married, certainly personal life, uh, providing for my family, no kids yet, but that idea of setting up a great life for my family and being a great husband and father start to drift towards the forefront. But at the same time, I have personal goals to be the best lacrosse player I can be and the best coach I can be. And so it, the ambiguity in me kind of creating those goals and, and putting them out there, I think there's a term called smart goals, making them specific and measurable um i don't know what the rest of the acronym is but but kind of writing those out and putting them into the universe is really helpful to provide those checkpoints for yourself where they otherwise might not exist and so some things for me a goal of mine is to make the national team roster as a lacrosse player that is a, a very measurable and specific goal that I, that i'm striving for and so for that there's different metrics and ways to get there and the, one is working out every day and attacking weak points in my game. As a coach, of course, it's to just be a mentor to the kids, and that's a daily reminder yet that you have to do. You have to try to be your best self, and, of course, you fail at that at times and, uh, and try to teach those kids those types of lessons. Winning a championship, of course, 
but as we talked about earlier, it's more about winning every day and making sure we get the most out of ourselves those days uh, when it comes to being a coach. And, and so kind of long with an answer, but uh, I guess that's kind of how my the goals shift throughout your life. And that's kind of where my goals sit right now. No, that's great. Now, I, you mentioned the national team here, so I want to move into the educational portion of the sport of lacrosse. Now, I'm going to start at the top and I'm going to preface this by telling you, I have watched lacrosse. I have, uh, been a manager of games for lacrosse. I was an intern at the National Sports Center in Blaine, Minnesota, where we had lacrosse. And we okay. have a turf field at Madison College where, where I, I'm in charge of, and I host some high school lacrosse games there with local teams every once in a while. So I've seen it. I understand it because most sports with attacking and retreating are the same. But let's yep. start here. You mentioned the national team as a goal. What does that mm-hmm. mean? Are there international lacrosse league competitions? Is it an Olympic sport? What does national team entail? So there is a movement afoot to get lacrosse into the Olympics, and I believe the first demonstration of that is in 2028. Uh, I think that's the LA Games. The, and they kind of changed the sport format a little bit to make it more consumer-friendly, I suppose, so that is the long-term goal. I don't know that my playing career will last that long, uh, but in the short term, every four years, there is a lacrosse world games. Similar to the way soccer kind of has its own world cup outside of the Olympics, lacrosse has its own world games. Uh, so that happens every four years. The next one would have been 2022, but was pushed back through the pandemic to 2023. And so, it's a series of tryouts and exhibitions that lead up to those games. You got to stay in peak shape between those tryouts and, and uh, to give yourself the best chance. Ultimately, what it does is uh, it comes down to the U.S., Canada, and, and the Iroquois national team competing for that that gold spot. So it's a, it's a certainly a gold mine and, and something I'm, I'm striving for, and fortunate to even be in the mix. So you're going to have to explain some some lacrosse nuances to me. So I assume, and you, you're going to correct me here, there are different styles of play for the sport of lacrosse. Fast, mm-hmm. low, rough, tough, finesse, whatever. Explain to me your style, and then ex- can you explain to me how that is played out on the field to someone who knows that you put the ball in the goal and you need more than the other team? <laughs> Absolutely. It's amazing how you can boil any sport down to a really simple form. We are all just a bunch of guys running around with sticks trying to put a ball in the net, <laughs> which is funny. So I think one of the best parts about lacrosse, uh, similar to the creativity we spoke about earlier, is the fact that it is so skill-based in a lot of ways. And so that allows people of all shapes and sizes and athletic ability to be successful because the more skilled you are, kind of the less athletic you have to be. And obviously, if you're both, you're in a really good position. For me personally, I am not particularly skilled. Uh, So I didn't grow up playing lacrosse since I was three years old. I I picked it up around eighth grade. And like I said, I played many sports. And so to be good at lacrosse skill-wise, you need to have your stick in your hands all the time. So my position is a defender and on the field in the cross game there are four defenders that are allowed to have a six foot stick i'm sure you've seen that there are some sticks that are longer some sticks that are shorter 
four of the defenders are allowed to have the six foot pole, and then two of the defenders, because it's there's only allowed six on either side, uh, need to have a short stick. So I played the defense with a short stick, and I would say I'm a pretty aggressive physical player that is looking to make a lot of contact and and communicate and operate with a lot of urgency uh, is the goal. And so if you see me play, you might see me nudging people left and right, bumping shoulders and stuff like that. Uh, the lacrosse is a sport with the, the contact of uh, hockey in a lot of ways. So body checks and some stick checks are allowed. So what's the rationale and reason between having defenders with short sticks and defenders with long sticks? A long stick, you have a little bit more room for error in terms of uh, footwork. Like if a, if a guy gets a step on you, you can make up for it with a, a whack or the length of the stick. It's just the rule that you're not allowed to have. Otherwise, ideally, you would like to have six people out there with long sticks, and so your defense is the best possible. You have the most margin for error. Uh, but just based on the rule, you're only allowed to have so many out there with long sticks, and so there has to be two players out there with short sticks at all times uh, on the defensive end. So you're sandbagging a little bit because you said you're not a highly skilled player, but you have a short stick, which means you have more skill. I can do that math. <laughs> no, I, I would say I'm a more athletic player. Uh, <laughs> uh, my skill, as I continue to play, it continues to develop. That's definitely an area of the game that I'm trying to work. Okay, last nerdy sport question related to a sport I know 2% about. When you look at stats or, or bios of players or recaps of games, ground balls is a thing that's mentioned as, I would assume, a statistical measure. What is that? No doubt. It's, uh, we often say it's the most important thing in the game. Um, so being that there is a lot of checking and um, the ball is flying through the air at high speeds, uh, there's shots that ring off the posts or uh, things like that, the ball is on the ground a lot. And when you pick up that ball off the ground, it's called a ground ball. And what that means is you've won your team possession of the ball and you're pushing towards your offensive end. So in hockey, possession's kind of loose, right? Because they're throwing it off the boards, throwing it in deep. There's different times. You can't just hold on to the ball. So it's expected that the ball changes hands all the time. In lacrosse, with the structure of the sticks, the ball is more attainable and, and able to be retained. And so possession doesn't change quite as often. And so when you have the ability to change that possession by knocking the ball out of the opponent's stick or the ball's loose through the gameplay, to pick it up off the ground is to win your team momentum or to win your team the ball and, and win possession so that you guys have the opportunity to score. Does that make sense? So <laughs> short term, if the ball's on the ground, you pick it up, that's a ground ball. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. No, I love that. And now next time I watch a game, I will have a lot more knowledge of what's going on out there. And then you and I can talk in another year and we can take another level deeper on this. How's that sound? That sounds great to me. I'm excited. So let's move off the field and into the locker room. Tell me about your favorite pregame speech that you can remember, either as a coach now or as a player that you remember receiving. And can you walk me through the circumstances around that pregame speech and why it resonates with you? I would say that me personally, I'm not a big rah-rah guy. I kind of 
try to be as consistent emotionally as possible. Obviously, especially in pregame, there's natural rise as, as the game approaches. I think the best feature that I've been a part of was it had actually a really simple message, and that was halftime. It wasn't pregame. It was halftime of my senior year when we were playing Denver, who was the number one team in the country in the Big East Championship. And this was kind of the culmination of our career as as guys who came out and started the program together, kind of took that gamble, took that chance. And Coach Ample at the time said, simply put, we are playing for more time together. How bad do you want more time? Because we have been through so much together through the uh, seasons. We have we were a particularly close team. And so winning that game would mean we'd make the NCAA tournament and we'd be able to practice another week together and, and get another chance to compete. And so he simply, puts, uh, simply said, uh, how bad do you want more time together? Go out there and get it because it was within our control. The game is kind of within our grasp. And, and so we, uh, the best teams are the ones that play for each other. And we came out on top that day and it was a pretty, pretty cool experience. Oftentimes the best messages are the most concise. So that is beautifully said. We get into psychology a little bit and I'm not a psychologist by any means. Don't get me wrong, but are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning when you compete? That's a, a great question. So I I was thinking about this, and I think I, it boils down in a couple of ways. I think I boil it down to my own personal game. Obviously, I am by no means a selfish player, but I know that I have a role to do within my team. And if I don't do my role, I'm not helping my team have the best chance at winning. And so I think personally – being a short stick, you kind of you're kind of similar as a, a, to a D back in football, whereas you're kind of on an island and you're kind of being attacked consistently throughout a game. I, I don't know. I think I I think I am driven by the joy of winning, and in, in that term, when I boil it down, it's it's the joy of winning my matchup and the, and kind of that pride and confidence that go in hand in hand with that. I want to continue, like I said, prove that I belong and drive to be the best. And uh, those consistent wins are when you, you know you're functioning at a high level. It's such a joy and and, and you want to you keep chasing that feeling. And so, I, like I said, I don't like to get too high on those joys and super and I but I also I don't get too low when I, I do fail because I know it's part of the process. I guess that's why I would say I'm driven by the joy because those failures I try not to get too low on. And so they're not too big of a fear for me. While they certainly happen, it's, I try to maintain the perspective that it's just, just how it goes and, and you need to learn from them. That's if that awesome. makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. So can you tell me about an upcoming project or something coming up in your life that you have a motivation to accomplish? I'll give you two answers. One is kind of funny. I've recently been playing a lot of chess, and uh, I, I, a hobby of mine is woodworking. And so I really want to carve my own wood chess set, uh, which is quite the undertaking. Uh, but that is a goal of mine. I haven't quite started. But 
eventually I'll get around to it. So I look forward to that. But in terms of sports and the career, I think uh, the biggest thing is just having a season uh, during a pandemic. Naturally, there's a lot of barriers that are uh, introduced and a lot of hoops we need to jump through. But last year we had a season cut short. And that was really sad for our guys. And like I said, I want I want our guys to have a great experience. And so we have a lot of work to do and a lot of things we need to make happen to make sure that the season continues to go on as planned. And, and that's going to be the main focus over these next few months, uh, just doing our best every day to operate within the rules and execute what uh, our compliance demands of us. And, and, uh, make sure we have the best chance to compete every weekend. So that's certainly a tremendous challenge, and, and but one that we can do nonetheless. Beautiful. All right, last question, fun question. In a hypothetical world, if you could have one superhero power, what would it be and what would you do with it? To do with it, that's a, that's a tricky one, right? Well, you're not going to get a superhero power and put it in the closet and let it collect dust, right? That's right. I uh, I actually just watched Shazam for the first time. It's kind of a goofy superhero movie. And they had a debate about, basically they said there's a right answer to this. Um, and it's between like mind reading and invisibility and flying. I'm, I'm going to go with flying. Oh, I guess the question is like, <laughs> I'm sure this was meant to be simpler. Uh, if you could fly, but you could also teleport, what's the difference? I would like to fly just because I would like to fly. I think that would be really cool and fun. And um, What would I do with it? <laughs> I don't know. I try to figure out who needs someone, a, a person that could fly around. <laughs> I would love to say there's some greater being. I'd try to be like Superman, but I don't know that it's super practical. No, it I guess it's a completely, whatever you want it to be. I guess it's completely selfish. I just want to fly. There you go. There's nothing wrong with that. So, follow-up question. Why yeah. in the world would you watch the Shazam without being forced to watch it? Uh, great question. I I guess I was uh, – so my, my wife dictates what we watch a lot of the time, and she was away for whatever reason. And I had been curious about this picture – of a guy blowing a bubble. That's like the, the title for the, the title screen for the, the movie on, I get, forget what app it is on. I watched the preview and it seemed just sort of corny enough that it, it could be maybe fun to watch. So I liked it. I thought it was fun. I'm glad you liked it. I haven't seen it since I was a kid and I cannot say it was memorable, but maybe I'll have to revisit <laughs> that. Who knows? Uh, you'll enjoy it, I think. All right. Well, Jake, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on Competitive Mindset and sharing your experiences with us. I really appreciate you thinking of me and uh, respect what you're doing. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. Next time on Competitive Mindset. I had dreams and goals and I had a plan and I was just like, this is going to get done, you know, one way or another. Competitive Mindset Music was produced by DJ Jojo Moore and all images were created by Elena Keel. Be sure to subscribe, rate, Leave a review and follow us at Competitive Pod.